Capcom has announced that we're on the verge of some major Street Fighter V reveals, and so we discuss what's most likely during this Friday's roundtable and next Wednesday's live stream events. We also get into the results of a very exciting CPT Online Asia East, talk about how Daigo is able to pull off such immaculate footsies, and consider the current state of balancing fighting games amid the backdrop of esports, all on this week's episode of the Event Hubs Podcast. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Event Hubs Podcast. I am John Catalyst Great, and with me as always is John Velociraptor Guerrero. What's going on, everybody? How you doing? Yeah, John, I actually i am going to open this up here with something serious. Uh, I, I need to tell our listeners about something important. That impacts every single one of them. Every single one. Our listeners' friends called, and they said that they never hear from them about FGC stuff lately. That they just don't have time for them anymore. John, do you know who has time for our listeners' friends? No, who who has time for our listeners' friends? You and I do every <laughs> week, right here on the Event Hubs podcast. We're giving your friends the latest on Street Fighter, G, Rashid, other stuff, you name it, we got it. Your friends, they say they're sad and lonely, they miss you, but you don't have time for them. But we have time for them here on the Event Hubs podcast. <laughs> like, comment, and subscribe, baby, and tell yeah. your friends, get the word out. Help us grow this thing. Yep. There it is. So nothing happening right now in the FGC, you know, uh, getting right into it. Um, uh, you know, we could just talk about all these reveals happening or we were just kind of in a dead period here wondering what was going to happen uh, after EVO Online got canceled and, you know, a bunch of things. And then out of nowhere, Capcom, Bandai Namco, SNK, Arxis, Koei Tecmo, and Arika all say, hey, guess what? We're doing a giant roundtable, and they've already confirmed that they're going to have reveals for Tekken, Soul Calibur, and Guilty Gear. Like, already. Like, we, we know that is coming. Uh, I am just so looking forward to this, not just because of the reveals, but it's a much more progressive step from these developers to take uh, and get their, their approach more in line here with 2020. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, you know, we'll mention that uh, on Wednesday, separately, Capcom is hosting their own show, which will have character reveals. That's plural. Uh, multiple characters will be revealed there. Uh, so at least two of them. Uh, we'll see if there's more. Uh, I think there's a chance we actually get a single reveal from Capcom on Friday. And then they do two more on Wednesday, uh, as I think it would be a little weird for everyone else to do a reveal. And then Capcom's like, yeah, we got nothing. We're just participate participating in the roundtable. I, I mean, they could do that, but it just seems like, you know, why not throw a character out at that point in time and like kind of honor the other you know, developers around you by by revealing something as well? They certainly have enough content coming down the pike. I don't, I don't know how much is ready right now or ready to be revealed but more than likely they have enough. Do you think that this whole roundtable thing was kind of thrown together last minute after Evo was canceled and that all of this content was probably just mainly going to happen on Evo streams, but because it was uh, because it fell through, they had to throw this together last minute? I think for the most part, yes. Uh, I do think that they probably were chewing on this idea at least a little bit. I, I'm this is how things are done here, you know, in this day and age of the internet, like everyone has kind of followed the Nintendo Direct model, at least to some degree. And if these companies weren't at least chewing on this idea a little bit, uh, I would be very surprised and very disappointed for that matter. Uh, it's the fighting game community, so I guess we can't rule that out, right? Yeah. Um, but um, I think overall, kind of an opportunity happened and they're like, well, maybe we'll expedite doing this a little, you know, sooner than we, we'd have 
previously thought. Whatever it takes to get people on board, I should say developers on board with doing it this way. I mean, put your own flair and pizzazz and your own approach to it, but we're seeing it with, well, NRS has been doing it for forever. Um, back when Killer Instinct was was still being developed, they were doing it this way. And like you said, Nintendo Direct has been just hitting it out of the park for Smash Bros with all this. So it clearly is the way of the future and the future is now. So you should get on board with this. We're kind of tired of waiting around for you know, the traditional places because they're just not as efficient anymore. So if this is what it takes to get people to try to start doing it this way, like, I mean, that's a silver lining of all this stuff going down the way it has. Yeah, it's, you're not in a block of time where you have, you know, tournament matches that are waiting to happen and people are waiting to see who wins the tournament or more top eight stuff and whatnot. You have an unlimited amount of time to, to say whatever you want to. And the fighting game community barely hears from these developers. We, we talk about this all the time where we're going back to quotes from, you know, interviews that happened years ago to find out what the roadmap still is yeah. uh, and, and how these games are working. And it's just like the the disconnect that fighting game developers have to their fans is really bad. Um, they do okay on social media. There's a few of the developers who are actually, you know, proactive there and do stuff, but it seems like they're afraid of themselves, like that they're going to, you know, fall on their face and say something wrong that people well, run especially with. especially right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I mean, I get that. But at the same time, you control the message. So you can do a pre-recorded video, put it out there, make sure it's edited and good. And then if something is messed up on it where you didn't, you know, anticipate something, it's like, hey, put out a few extra statements that clarify that you're 100 percent in control of the message and you can get out in front of stuff before they become issues. Uh, it, it's so easy to, to talk about the various problems that have happened in these games, uh, you know, from the Tekken people charging for frame data for season four of Street Fighter five, where they just didn't do anything for like five months or something like that and just said, hey, doing things differently. Good luck with that. Mm. Uh, there's so many examples where if you control the message and you have a video that you put together, like I think of like Tekken's frame data, if you show that a little bit more hands-on and stuff, like maybe um, Michael and, and uh, Harada don't have to go in there and just completely converse with people for like three or four days straight or something like that, trying to explain why stuff is good. Twitter is a terrible medium for explaining stuff. Um, it, it just, it's, it's so hard to do it there. But if you have a video and you can walk people through like the value they're getting and show them all the stuff they're getting a little bit in advance, it's, it's a big deal. And I know they showed some stuff in advance. I just, I, it's a better medium to address things. It's more long form. It, it feels more, there's more opportunity there than, than the character limits that Twitter provides. Yeah, I agree 100%. Yeah, so the characters that we keep hearing, go back here to, to Street Fighter V, the most that we've heard are Rose, Oro, and Sea Viper. And then another step down from that is Elena and Rolento. And then another step down from that is also Yun, Feilong, Sodom, and Makoto. Uh, you know, you can read into that how you will. We're going to have reveals here very shortly, but I, I will recap, you know, uh, what we've heard through the grapevine. Um, Capcom has five characters to reveal in a semi-short period of time. The next generation consoles are likely coming in November, and I don't see a scenario where you'd want your DLC to be competing for gamers' money in that same window. Um, I oh, mean, are you putting Capcom in a box? Is that <laughs> what mean, you're doing putting, right now? I'm putting all the developers in a box, actually, not just Capcom. It's like, if you want to get your new content out there for these you know, previous generation consoles, you better do it before November. I mean, you could do it like later than November and other stuff, but I, I think your sales are going to suffer big time when when you'd want those releases out there you know, as soon as possible otherwise. Yes. 
Yeah, I mean, do you think that's going to be a big impact? Do you think that if the developers don't hit that window, that people are going to be like, well, you know, I, I don't want to buy a you know four hundred dollar console anyway. I'm going to buy this five dollar DLC. Um, for me, the people I know, like they'd like to save their pennies, and it's like, yeah, I want this ten bucks to go to you know the, the next generation console that I'm saving for. Yeah, think about it this way. You know, Street Fighter Five is four years old now, and it's going on five, right? And by by this holiday season, we're almost to its fifth birthday. It's plenty successful, and plenty of people still play it. But right now, it's very muted in a couple of significant ways. You know, the hype, understandably, in certain ways, isn't there. Now, it does have some momentum, especially right now. We had a very hyped CPT event play out over the weekend, albeit online. And we know that this content is coming. And yes, right now you do have the attention. But do you think that Street Fighter V's uh, hype will be able to compete at all with how things are going to start feeling once consoles are coming out and once that's the focus? It's like, I mean, some, sure. But there's no doubt in my mind that the, like you said, the sales that will happen then versus what will happen right now. And you clearly do have some attention right now. Um, it's like they're not comparable. And so it would be a terrible decision to wait too long. You have a very clear window right now. You want to get out as fast as possible. Uh, do it. Yeah. I could see the servers going down on Wednesday for Street Fighter Five, And then right after the show, which starts at 10 a.m. on uh, that day, they come back up with the announced characters fully playable like go grab them and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff that would actually mean that they would be uh, eligible for the CPT North America tournament that's coming up on the 15th because you need a seven day window uh, for the characters to be out for them to be eligible so maybe it will come later I don't know that's going to definitely be a giant wrench to throw in things I'm going to be maining the moment oh um crap <laughs> <laughs> well uh, you're going to have as soon as Street Fighter 6 comes out you'll be maining because you're getting your kicked out oh, again. Oh man, I oh please go back and edit that. We're gonna edit that character that I like a lot. Um, whatever their name may be, his or her name, um, that's definitely getting edited. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, we're gonna see if, if ends up into the game. John's excited to play her, but who knows? It could be anything. <laughs> you're getting me in trouble again. Um, so, uh, but yeah, uh, I'll be maining uh, if in there i will definitely be maining her and playing her in tournament the whole way through uh i just i have to play that character um but it will be interesting to see if they open that up because it's going to definitely be a can of worms for a lot of people like to try to learn those matchups on that short of time frames but i mean that's you know that's the beauty of dlc and also the the horrible part of it right you could get surprised by something you're just not prepared for yeah um, i i think that a batch a batch release right now is best case scenario and even then in some respects it's too late because that's five characters that's a lot to explore it's a new game at that point in some respects and we've only got like we said a couple of months before it's the holiday season before eyes are starting to shift their focus to other places new ventures and i mean people will still play street fighter 5 but not as many and it won't get as explored and so we only have a few months as it is right now if all five drop to to explore them um and and that's okay by the way there shouldn't be too much of a sense of urgency if you're capcom and you want to make as much money and be as efficient as possible then you're listening to this and, and you're kind of like heeding these kinds of words but for the community i don't think it's a big stress for us it's just how much we want to enjoy the game and how much we want to explore it and um and you know where we want to put our focus so Again, not huge stakes for us, but if you're rooting for Street Fighter V and you want to see the best case scenario, let's get them out now because it's already a little bit late. Yeah.
Yeah, I, and I do think that we'll, we'll see the initial batch of characters. I don't think we'll see all five like right away. And then I think it's going to be one character a month from that point out. So you'll have one in September and one in October, and then I think you're done. You know, um, and maybe they they get it out there a little sooner than that. You know, to avoid. We don't know for sure that the next generation consoles are coming out in November. Just that's what history tells us. That's what they want to do. It's just like holiday 2020 is what they keep saying, but that usually means November. You know, right around uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday type stuff. Yeah, but how how likely or how surprised would you be to find out that Capcom's plan is to do a slow release and the last character will be revealed at Capcom Cup? Surprised is definitely a fair word to put there. I I would be a bit surprised. I, I would be a bit... I do think that Capcom generally has a good awareness of this stuff and they understand it. I mean, Ono even said it in an interview that, you know, they're looking at Street Fighter Six, but... Uh, with Ryozo Sujimoto uh, running the um, fighting games division uh, and being a very savvy and smart person. Uh, and you know, he's a, the head of Monster Hunter um, and how well those games have generally been received and how well Capcom has been doing with their other releases. I do think some of the boneheaded stuff we've seen in the past uh, is going to go away. I mean, the reason how come that uh, Street Fighter V is a console exclusive is because, and I'll flat out say it, Capcom's very boneheaded moves. Uh, back in about 2012, 2013 you know period of time it wasn't just fighting games back then it was you know multiple moves that just did not pan out for them Hmm. like they expected it to uh and i mean it's uh you know whoever you want to blame for that's whoever to blame but i'm not going to say that those days are over but i think that i think capcom's at a different level now than they were back then and i think they've put better people in charge to do this stuff and make sure that these ridiculous decisions don't come to pass anymore uh it, maybe like not on did. that yeah not yeah that maybe not on that level uh doing things differently was last year yeah. but since doing things differently i will say that things have gone fairly well we've gotten good updates we've gotten exciting and, and pretty intriguing new characters that don't seem to be breaking the game one seems to be really high up there and the other one seems to be fairly low although we here with steven playing gill as much as he does and, and as much as we've explored that character uh, thus far we don't really agree on you know with with the majority that he's as low as he is but we'll see mm-hmm. uh point is it's it's actually it's a pretty good thing when people don't agree on the tier list because that probably indicates that uh, it, it's it's fairly balanced or there's a couple of different ways of approaching it um but anyways i will say that capcom has done pretty well since doing things differently but doing things differently was gnarly man so yeah. Yeah, I, I, and I would be surprised here to answer my own question there, uh, but I've been surprised by Capcom in these negative ways before, so not as surprised as I would hope. Yeah, so just putting a bow on this, hopefully this sets a new standard for fighting games and these developers who have been far too hands-off with their community, for the most part, not not entirely, but far too much, just see this as like, hey, you know what, this is a new standard for us, we're going to do this. Uh, the people who hated you previously they're not going to change their minds. They're not, you're the Twitter mob that goes crazy when you do anything. They're not going to be jumping in there and saying, "Hey, this is just amazing, right?" Yeah. But you can look from your viewer numbers. You can look from the kind of the, the audience reception and people who are on the fence and are looking for reasons to either drop your game or continue playing it. You can very much appeal to them and, and not only tell them but show them why these games still deserve your interest, why you should keep playing. And and we know for a fact that people will in droves check out information for developers. There's high interest there of hearing it directly straight from the horse's mouth, as they say, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so take the time to talk to, to your many fans out there. Like it's a really great step. Um, just keep doing it. Uh, and yeah, that's that's my main message for this. 
All right, moving on. Uh, we had the Capcom Pro Tour Asia East tournament. And hey, look what happened. Daigo spoke about how strong Seth and Urian were, and yet he won the entire event with Guile. Who saw that coming? Who did? Yeah, I did. Because I said last week, these pro players love to talk about how strong other people's mains are, all the while downplaying their own. Very, very consistent. Guile is real good. We had him at ninth in our tier list. I had him at sixth overall. Uh, again, what I said last week still applies. When pro players are saying how good another character is, but they don't drop their mains for that character, take what they're saying with a grain of salt. I'm not saying they're fully off base. I'm just saying that the misdirection game is very strong among pros. Um, I know you watch Daigo play. Like, what do you think of all that? Huh. Well, Guile never fell out of probably very viable in our opinions, like that, that tier. And sure enough, he's still there. Daigo's a very storied and obviously one of the greatest players of all time when it comes to these sort of things. So to see a pretty, pretty damn good character and a really good player bring it together to win. And he won by the skin of his teeth. Uh, Fudo put up a, I mean, if it weren't for the Fudo curse, he absolutely would have won and taken first place. It's just that Fudo has to get second place. And I think that's the only thing that uh, got him, you know, there. But uh, I think it all makes sense. Well, we talked about the tier list, right? And and save for like the handful of tippy top tiers, there's a big middle area. And then you could even say that there's a, a fairly big like upper middle area of the tier list where there's a lot of really good characters that aren't the greatest, but they have the tools to get the job done. And I think that's what we saw here. Guile, it's hard to put him in a specific place. I don't know. Maybe he's eighth overall. Maybe he's fifth. You know, but but the point is, he's in the viable tier, and I don't think anyone's going to question that. He's always had all of these ridiculous tools. I, I think it's important we we say not just viable tier, but like top tier. Uh, um, I mean, it's he's in a he's in a league of one of the best characters in the game. Right, but he's probably not top three in the game. Not yet. Yeah, probably not. But I mean, he's right up there where I don't know, again, once you get past top one, how far the separation is between two to six. Yeah. So here's the thing that when you see Daigo's play with Guile, specifically in this match uh, against Fudo, it wasn't that he was doing a bunch of ridiculous things that make Guile... Um, like, he wasn't putting Guile in a ton of situations where... You go, man, the, the guessing game that Fudo has to do here or the odds of Fudo not doing well here are really high. You know, it wasn't that he has some free, you know, Yun heavy or EX rush punch where he's in for free and he's also plus and then he also has a command grab and you just go, yeah, Daigo's just taking advantage of that. Guile, he was using Guile's tools, which are very strong, but what he was doing was a lot of footsie setups, a lot of expert space control, and that is something that Guile's particularly good at but you're doing it against Poison, who mm -hmm. arguably, I mean, we haven't investigated this character as much, but she's been center stage recently as one of the best in the game, and she's been climbing those tier lists very quickly, and she's all about that control in a way that almost no other character quite is in this game. She's mid-range zoning and very good, and where Guile can throw sonic booms, and that's a huge part of his ability to control that space, Poison can counter that, which is probably why we saw Fudo go with her just right out of the gate against Daigo, because you can trade with those booms, and he doesn't really want to do that. So Yeah, if, if people were wondering when Poison was going to make a heavy impact outside of Idom, 
that wait is over. Uh, this is why we had Poison in our top seven. Uh, as Fudo got second using her as his main, he played a bit of Mika too, but Birdie was nowhere in sight for him. Didn't play Birdie mm-hmm. at all. Uh, and it gives you an idea, again, of how strong Poison is, plus Poison was popular throughout the entire event. But yes, Really quick, though, wouldn't Birdie be... Uh, this is just me playing very quick theory fighter in my head, but wouldn't Birdie be a pretty good answer to Guile because he can answer the booms with his uh, Zonk or use the armor of, uh, of EX forward shoulder tackle to get through them as well it feels like daigo wouldn't be able to throw booms much at all but if i'm I sure those two have played that match a hundred times yeah if i remember correctly that's actually one of the birdie players most hated matches is actually guile because he just he struggles to get around the booms kind of fundamentally okay fair enough i i always figured it would be well again that's just theory fighter and and you know if you have better evidence from actual results then i'll bow to that but anyways yeah, I we mean, have uh, in our tiers like we have uh the worst matchup for birdie players they say is rashid the monot and then guile is like third worst fair enough and and in, a lot of that could be that it's just hard for birdie to get into those sweet spots where he can actually do those counters guile's walk speed's really good man so if he's like zoning him from far away maybe that's the reason why but it just feels like you know between ex dolphin dive and and uh, armored get ins and then that zonk there would be answers but maybe that's not exactly the reason why the the match is terrible in any case fudo no birdie goes straight to poison for this and it was damn close mm-hmm. i think the first set was was it 3-1 or 3-2 cuz the second set was 3-2 but these matches were were right down to the wire and it was stellar play from both players 100% um but back to your initial question, it wasn't Daigo just doing a bunch of things that, uh, or just taking advantage of, of Guile and seeing this OP character give Fudo no options. It was Daigo having really thought through this, created a lot of good setups specifically in the footsies department, and, um, and, and not playing absolutely pristine, by the way. That's something yeah. we might get into a little bit later. There was plenty of things that Daigo could have cleaned up, and that's not to say that I would have done nearly as well or <laughs> any better or nearly as well, I should say. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was very much in footsie play and spacing things out, and I'm sure we'll get to that damn sweep, which you wouldn't think sweep would be the go-to uh, with punishing move because of how unsafe it is but and and it did cost daigo a handful of times where he swept and it, it didn't work out for him but it worked out for him a lot so much so that it became highlighted um i know high fight did some stuff on it we posted some stuff about it that was probably the most notable thing about this set and that was just earned footsies and smarts by daigo it wasn't that his character just won it for him for free yeah for sure. Uh, I mean, I, Fudo was right there to the very end. I mean, he reset the grand finals bracket, right? And I mean, mm-hmm. they're going down to it. It's 2-2. And I watched Fudo crumble mentally. He had a few things not go in his direction. Uh, and it was just like, then all of a sudden he started getting tagged by random you know, moves. And he just like the last, I think, round or two, I forget what it was. But you can actually kind of see him just mentally not be locked in anymore and Mm -hmm. there's a pretty heart-wrenching video up there that shows him and his wife like kind of crying after he lost um it's it's pretty rough to see uh so i mean it's these things are not you know these players are very invested in this stuff uh this is their this is their career yeah and and he was you know he's 
a couple heartbeats away from making it into Capcom Cup. And, you know, he misses and second place is a big, you know, firm handshake or whatever when we get out of this pandemic and that's it. You know, you're not getting anything else from it except for maybe reputation points. And that's rough you know so I mean again Daigo deserved to win he was definitely the better player uh, I think both characters are pretty comparable tier wise and stuff um, Daigo had some really impressive stuff throughout the tournament but I mean I, I did feel bad for Fudo just watching the mental guard break happen was uh, heart wrenching when well one of the players that was in Capcom Cup last year will be voted in this year and Fudo could definitely do some campaigning uh, with him and his wife crying after their loss. Like, you could definitely use that angle and, and maybe get some votes there if you wanted to. But you mentioned that he seemed to break mentally, and I imagine the point, if not one of the huge contributors to that, was towards the end of a round. Um, it was after the reset, because Fudo caught fire and was really rolling over Daigo. Daigo mm-hmm. was doing some good stuff, but Fudo was getting the wins and the rounds at the end of the day. He took the first bracket reset, and then he was carrying that momentum into the the final set that they played. At one point, he has Daigo cornered, and I, I don't remember all the specifics, but there's a weird interaction where a boom trades with a whip, and it knocks... Um, oh, and then Fudo does his V-trigger cocktail, and Daigo goes in, Fudo's quartered, and Daigo goes in because the boom trades, and so he's actually going to be able to combo after the boom uh, with more than just a jab because he's knocked out of his animation but because that cocktail's in the air he begins the combo but the cocktail hits him and uh fudo reacts to this and he does super because daigo gets hit yeah. and and he's he's and but the super is a few frames too late and it whiffs completely daigo then brings it back i think the following round again fudo has daigo basically dead to rights cornered and no meter and he's just got this whip. Daigo can't throw a fireball. All that Daigo can do smartly or, or intelligently is take any instances where he can slowly eke forward. And he's only got like 30 seconds left to, to try to get something started. There's this standoff for a good while, probably longer than most anybody else, because Fudo does have some fortitude here, of course. But eventually he cracks. And instead of just keeping Daigo caged, at this totally advantageous spot he walks forward and goes for a throw just probably to get out of the intensity of the moment and Daigo jab fireballs him and and it's a combo enough to kill him there Uh, and and things like that were happening so not only do they they happen but then they stack on themselves and like you said that just snowballs you into well second place is a firm handshake and a thumbs up yeah it's uh the pressure in these situations both you and i have felt it you know i mean when you play at a high level i'm not gonna say we felt it to the same degree you know we're not playing daigo and grand finals online you know all that kind of stuff but (laughs) it 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 takes a mental toll on you. It, it snowballs. It builds, and, and it's like you have you may be holding on by you know a fingernail to your your mental composure, and one thing goes wrong, and you're done. And and mm-hmm. that's what man. I just I felt so bad for Fudo. Like the time he put into Poison, he's such a gifted player. He's so talented, and and, and I mean again, I, I I'm a huge Daigo fanboy too. Like I, I'll be clear with that. Just it's I, I I guess both things are true, right? I'm happy for Daigo, but I felt terrible for Fudo. So sure. Sure. Well, I am happy to see Daigo take one down because it's been a while. It seems like maybe he wins one tournament a year and he's got such a storied past and he's got so much momentum and charisma that people and myself included still put him up there as one of those that's likely to win. But 
he usually has like one good tournament like this and then does decently in a few others and otherwise is like, ah, oh, well, Daigo got 16th or Daigo, you know, got 13th and that was it. Or I should say 17th. Um, yeah, so so it is nice and, and this is a good time to be this hot because here he goes into Capcom Cup now. Um, but I, I feel like we should probably get into the particular things that Daigo was doing amazingly well because it was one of those instances where you watch him do these uh, footsies kind of setups and it made, well, I can speak for myself, it made me want to go do that. This looked like a simple enough and tangible enough strategy that I can do it too. You know, Now, it's not I this... have to jump in there and say, you have been really hating online play. And I know you've got a yeah. PC on the way, which you're more than likely going to be playing Street Fighter V on going forward. 100%. Did this reinvigorate your passion for the game with all things considered? Like, are you feeling it again? Oh, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. yeah. Because because there are plenty of times where I say, well, I want to jump on and play some Street Fighter, do a set. And sometimes it goes well and you feel good and it's fun. But a lot of times it's just because it just becomes a reminder of, uh, yeah, I remember I didn't want to do this in the first place. Here's why. So we'll see. Okay. But this is something that, one, I was excited to see because it's something that I have intuitively done before although for whatever reason not very much in street fighter 5 but this is a natural strategy that my very basic understanding of street fighter 3 or i should say third strike specifically because that's the only one i've really played it's something that i implored in that and uh and have had a plenty of obvious success from in my you know low level matches and that is to essentially bait people out to, uh, to stick moves out at the perfect ranges and then footsie, you know, whiff punish. It's very basic footsies. It doesn't sound very razzmatazz when I say it here, but we saw Daigo doing it and everyone lost mm -hmm. their mind, and appropriately so. Here's something I want to get at. We saw the tip of the iceberg, which looks like Daigo being able to punish normals, like, like medium punches and maybe even lights. He was doing it in practice, but that's in practice. Uh, but really, uh, you know, consistently whiff punish things with sweep, which it is fast. It's like a seven frame move and it goes far. Daigo, or Daigo Guile and like maybe Chun-Li and a handful of others have sweeps that work in this way. Um, and, and they really are viable tools, but they are very risky because you risk being minus, I think it's 13, and that's a full punish for most people, depending on spacing and whatnot. So you really have to use this with tact, and Daigo was doing so. He, uh, High Fight did a video where he translated Daigo speaking about this. And what it came out to was he said, you know, I've just been practicing using that as a specific whiff punish too. Kawano said that I was goofy for doing this. He didn't believe that this was a, a valid thing. And then I get it. Like Kawano like obviously is wrong, but a lot of us would say, yeah, maybe don't practice whiff punishing with sweep. Maybe there are better buttons for it. Uh, that's a lot of risk. But given how far it goes, given how fast it is, and given that you really can get your reactions to this point now, put an asterisk there because we're coming back to that. Uh, it's clear that you can do it. And Daigo said that this wasn't something he was actively looking for. It's just something that he trained so much for that he was able to do it similar to the way you're eventually able to anti-air Shoryuken without thinking about it. Mm -hmm. It just gets... It, it, it becomes assimilated into your autopilot as a player. And it's one of those things that you really want to have, just like the anti-air DP. It's like, if this happens, I'm doing this. And um, so we see this tip of the iceberg, which looks like just Daigo reacting with sweep to normals. And, and we go, this guy is a god. This is something I could never do. He's just amazing. 
He is amazing, but it's not as impressive as you might think for the reasons you might think. It's good because Daigo figured out the, the, the bottom of the iceberg or more of the iceberg once you go beneath the surface is that Daigo figured out how to get into these situations consistently so that he had a high probability of success and was ready for it. It wasn't all the chaos of anything that could possibly happen in this match as these two characters navigate the screen with one, in, with one another. It was we're in this very specific narrow hallway of a situation and you're either doing X or Y and if you do X I'm hitting this button. It's a much more simplified and much more doable situation than you might think. But you really have to go in and, and analyze it and look back at the replays, which by the way, CFN is amazing. Yeah. I was watching MDZ Jimmy's uh, recap of this. The fact that you can go back and you can rewind really quickly, you can see it, you can see the button inputs, you can see the frame it's data. Beautiful. There is no excuse for any of us, and I'm speaking to myself just as much as anybody else, uh, to not be able to go in and analyze below the surface of these uh, these pros iceberg kind of approaches to these games. Well, at least I can speak for Street Fighter V and a lot of the other games have similar assets. You can really break this down and analyze it. So anyways, what Daigo was doing was after a throw tech or when he was about a medium kick away, like crouching medium kick, he'd often use that move to space himself. He would wait for those situations, uh, know that he was at that space, and then just hang out. And in those moments, I would venture to say that even if he wasn't actively thinking about it, his subconscious, his autopilot, which has assimilated this because he's practiced it enough, was very much ready to play that does Fudo push a button here game. So he was ready for it. He was specifically looking for it because he was setting it up. And then Fudo does and whap every time. Well, not every time, but a lot of the time. I think it was 14 or 13 times between his matches with Fudo and Tokido that he whiff punished. So bring this home here for, for our listeners. What is your takeaway from this? What do you see here that, that really resonates with you? Well, that you can spend your time figuring out not just how to do reactions and not just how to you know do basic concepts like late teching and such, but how you can put your character into these simple uh, and, and seemingly innocuous situations and then you know uh, well practice the whiff punishing this is something that all of us can do. More or less, everyone can, can practice to the point where they're, they, they, this is deposited into their uh, subconscious and then set themselves up for success. It just takes the legwork. And we all know how much Daigo has been practicing in his streams like every single day, just going online, doing these things in the training room. Uh, this is something that maybe we can't replicate it the way Daigo can replicate it. Fair enough. But you can get damn close and you can get a lot better than you are right now by emulating this. Yeah. So if Daigo can do this online, does this make online more valid in your eyes? Hmm. There were a few instances where it seemed like um, there were some hiccups where stuff didn't play out exactly the same way. Uh, but there's, okay, we can get back to this idea that online has its chaos, but that doesn't mean that it also doesn't have stints where the same thing happens uh, would happen offline and online because there really wasn't interference. Factor in that these two are relatively close to each other and have internet that's really strong. Yeah, I mean, it's I 100% still prefer offline over online, but uh, I'm happy to have this. And I think that this was still a showcase of skilled and um, 
Street Fighter uh, gameplay with intent behind it, and then we got to see that intent manifest the way it was supposed to, especially in these instances. So, I mean, it was still a good snapshot of high-level play, especially because it's what we have right now, so I'll absolutely take it. But I think that that can be true, and I can still say that I'd much rather play offline than online. Yeah. I, I'm just curious. I think there's a there's a growing change now in the FGC where we're, we're forced into adapting to, hey, online tournaments are going to be what we have a good ways going forward. I mean, we're not looking at we don't know when the, you know the coronavirus COVID-19 is going to be less of a factor than it is now. Uh, it could be a ways off. You know, uh, we don't know for sure. And with that, you know, online's probably here to stay in a higher regard than it ever has before in the FGC. You know, and um, so I'm, I'm, I think there's a, a wave of people kind of like grudgingly accepting this. And I've been, of course, on board from, you know, the get go, like, like online all the way. Like, this is great, you know, um, for what it is. Right. It's great for for what we have. Um, but um, I, to me, you know, it just the stuff like it's it's mostly the same as offline play, like these results and other things. Yeah, you can debate them. But I mean, you could debate them if they're offline anyway. But uh, but yeah, there it is. Yeah, so this was a good thing in a lot of respects. Uh, that doesn't mean it has. To, it was the same thing as as offline. Um, but I'll take it, especially in a vacuum, and say like I'm I'm happy to have this. I'm happy to have this exciting tournament play out. I'm happy to have this specific play that does indeed motivate me to go try it myself. It's like oh, I can I can take this. I'm feeling similar to the way I remember when I uh, saw Mike Ross playing Honda at Evo in 2010, and I went. I want to try to replicate that. I think I can. I think I can get good results out of that. Let me go up to my room right now and start practicing hands. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so so yeah. There's a lot of good that comes out of this, and that's something that we've. And the fact that it's in CPT and we can go back and look at all the inputs and everything. That's amazing. Yep. That needs to be part of regular offline tournaments too, somehow. So yeah, there's there's a lot of benefit. Yeah. So. Urian also had a, a pretty nice showing here uh, with one of them in top eight, another in top 16, and then eight of them overall in our results, putting him second behind Akuma for usage. Uh, shocker, Akuma was number one. I mean, you know, yeah. Uh, Dalsam also made the top 16 via Waichi Mochi, uh, which it still baffles me as to why this character is so low rated for a lot of people. I'll cite again what Nick said, uh, that a lot of the tier lists from Japan, they read like a matchup list for their main character. And I think that some people who body Dalsim, like they, they assume he's not that great of a character. Uh, and I'll just flat out say, I think some of the tier lists coming out of Japan are hot garbage in this day and age. I think that they're not worthless, but man, do they have a lot of flaws in them. Um, I will say, though, on that note, that Seth looks to do very good against Urian. Uh, that might be why we're seeing the character hyped up so much. I still think our rating of him being uh, in the top 15 range is more accurate than like the top three, what we've seen from other people, but we'll see what happens over time. Again, uh, matchups being such a dominant thing, if you have a great matchup against Urian, people might assume you're a top five character when they're not looking at all the other matchups that are happening. Uh, but, you know, Seth is getting good results, but not amazing results. So you got to tell the people about the crouching heavy kick, though. Yeah, uh, basically, Urian, as far as we know, cannot punish it with anything. I believe it's negative four on block and you can kind of just spam that move. Onigurin who will block it. Now, if you know that's coming, it's Street Fighter V. It's like there's 50 ways to position yourself to whiff punish it or to, you know, kind of bait it out, so to speak. But on a mm-hmm. fundamental level, Urian definitely has trouble with that move. It's something that you are going to actively have to lab and put in time with, which is something we know that Urian players don't like to do. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> if EX knees doesn't fix it 
and dash forward throw doesn't fix it, then I don't want any part yep, of it. There it is. Uh, there were also five birdie players who placed in the tournament. Um, it's not like this character is completely wrecked. He's just considerably worse than he was before. As we mentioned, Fudo didn't play him at all. Uh, when pros drop their mains or pick another character up, it gives you a really good idea of how strong a character is or not anymore. And uh, I, I, I feel a little bad for birdie, but not terribly. He's kind of been a little bit of a, a bastard over the years. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, in regards to the rest of the usage, uh, I think it was pretty much a top tier fest, as it typically is in Japan. You see a few character special, uh, specialists emerge, but players in Japan tend to be very hardcore tiers enthusiast, and the usage is highly reflective of that. You do see a few surprises along the way, like like Luke with Vega and, and being in the same range as Karen and Ibuki, like in terms of usage, but overall it's kind of like, eh. Uh, and then Colleen was middle of the pack for usage hmm. and i still wonder if this character is being heavily overrated by some people who have her like in the top five because her results have never been strong enough to justify that placement uh again it's a vote for her we talked about it last week a vote for her on paper and on concept man but she just does not produce it's she gets good results but not top five results not like what you would expect so Anyway, um, but yeah, it was, it, you know, it was pretty much what you would think this tournament would be. Uh, everything kind of lined up. There's definitely, you know, a handful of competitors who you thought like had a good chance of winning it. Uh, Fudo was definitely up there. Uh, obviously, Daigo won it. Uh, but one thing I will say is that uh, I know that Nick expected Chun-Li to have a gigantic presence at this tournament, and that didn't happen. I think she's overrated in the list that we did, uh, as I, I had her outside the top 10, and I think Nick had her second overall, which which bumped her up many slots. But I will say, I don't think Chun-Li's tale is fully told here in Season 5, because uh, I can see her having uh, placing way better than she did in this event in, in the future. How did Nemo or Nemo get 49th with Urian? Also, why didn't he use Gil? All this Gil, and we were excited to see what he could do with this character, and and he gets 49th with Urian. I, I th- Gamer B, 65th. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know that this was just because of online, and this is an incredibly stacked tournament, but seeing those those players that far down does kind of raise like a little bit of a, oh, well, what's this? Yeah. You know, to me. Dogara, 97th. Yeah, I think that... Um, I think that Nemo has went away from Gil a good bit now. I still think he plays him somewhat, but I mean, if you're going to pick between um, Urian and Gil, why would you pick Gil? You know, I mean, I Gil is maybe like about a mid-tier character in this game. Um, Japan, Japan thinks he's poopy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting. So, uh, and the fact that Nemo's dropped him now, I just talked about pros dropping. You know, he hasn't dropped him, but he's put him down to a, an alternate character. It's not a good sign for the character. I still think he's strong enough to be mid-tier, though. You know, I mean, because that, that's, you're talking about characters like, uh, you know, um, okay, um, drawing a blank on some of our mid-tier characters let me pull up the list here you're talking about characters like abigail sakura zangief balrog you know birdie at that point um those are all characters that like i think gil is at least close enough power wise where i don't think he's abysmal in this game Hmm. damn no g's except for let's see 17th johnny played some g that's a former but yeah japan has never right they've never believed in g yeah i mean i i do think it it is good evidence right there as as we just spoke about you're dropping karen for g Uh, that's uh i mean he's still playing karen like uh, this is uh it's his alt but i mean still uh there are a few people who realize how strong g is in, in certain circumstances there i'm i'm becoming more and more open to the idea that g's v trigger can be ridiculous and silly and then 
also there must be certain very I don't want to say obvious because that would make me stupid <laughs> but answers that really do have an effect on him like styles of play or certain situ- situations where you know you might be able to do something like a fuzzy guard against something that usually works really well for him and shut that down things along those lines um, I, I, I dare not say option selects but there's got to be something that Japan sees about the character because especially with someone like Nemo originally playing him and being crazy Nemo's all zany and all about exploding suddenly into weird you know unexpected but controlled chaotic ways uh, it, which seems to be G101 stuff and and again what we're seeing from Japan is just doesn't seem to fit the puzzle Uh, at least in the way I see it. So I kind of got to revamp how I see it a little bit, and that might be where it is. But it is strange to me not to see this character more from what I've experienced. He's not popular. There are certain characters that are just never really that popular in Japan. Even season two, Laura, um, even season two, Mm -hmm. Balrog, for that matter, was not that popular over there. And while those two characters were running rampant in other regions, uh, it's there. They view things very differently. Sometimes it's quite interesting, but G is actually semi-popular. I mean, he's gotten top eight at a CPT event. I think maybe two of them now, Um, you know, uh, unfortunately, Knuckle Doo, who was playing G quite a bit, he did, you know, retire here um and mm-hmm. uh, there's a few other players that have kind of dropped off like i thought g would have more of a presence here in season five but his present presence is not totally abysmal just yet it's he's on the radar he's pretty good on the radar like you you generally see a handful of players at every event playing him mm-hmm. before we get too far out of this uh, i wanted to ask we recently saw daigo play tokido in a first seven and this is, I mean, this probably isn't the third time they've met. I'm sure it's many more that they've done big sets like this. But uh, in recent times, they did the Kimono Michi and uh, Daigo wiped the floor with Tokido. And then Tokido came back and absolutely obliterated Daigo in, um, what was it? Uh, you know, that Japanese tournament they do every year with the online and the offline and the... Uh, why can't I think of that? It's too early in the morning, I guess. Anyways, uh, Tokido won. And then this time around, Daigo 7 owed Tokido just before going into this event and winning it. Is Daigo on the up and up right now? Has he figured something out? Or or is it just a little like flash in the pan like we've seen from him in recent years? Um, Daigo is a businessman. Topanga. It, oh, yeah, okay, Topanga. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Daigo is a, a businessman, and he sometimes has business ventures, I think, interfere quite a bit in his training. And mm. I know back in the Street Fighter Four days that he was one of the um, – he played more than anyone. Uh, I remember Seth Killian coming on and saying, like, look, like, yeah, Daigo's the number one player, but he, you guys have to realize he's playing more than anyone on the planet. We have this data. We know how much he's playing. And, yeah, he's going crazy with it. So if he wants to put in the time, I think he does really well. But I think his – interests are varied enough in business and in playing that it really just kind of depends on how things are going for him at that time and he really kind of puts his heart and soul into stuff and and other stuff i think kind of gets a back burner treatment and that can include you know playing these games and keeping his skills relevant okay fair enough all right so i have something i don't know how to set this up um but i can just kind of say where it's been coming from and then we'll just see where the conversation goes because I think it's interesting. And the reason I think it's interesting is because it's been coming up in my own sort of just personal thoughts as I cycle through all the fighting game things and what kind of attracts me and what I'm interested in. And uh, if you will, it's like my metal detector keeps going over this spot and it keeps going off. And so um, I've been thinking about what it means to balance a fighting game. And 
basically how realistic of an expectation a perfectly balanced fighting game should be with where we're at here in 2020 over the last 30 years of development for fighting games we've learned a lot of lessons clearly a lot of progress has been made you go back you know to the original street fighter to street fighter 2 and there are things in there that you would just laugh at if you saw today uh, you go back to street fighter 4 and there are things that you would just laugh at if you saw today and you say that would never make it into the game now uh, but you go into the things that are in earlier versions of street fighter 5 and you laugh at it and you say so there's been pl plenty of progress at the same time, there are still some things in this game now, and I'm speaking specifically about Street Fighter V, but this discussion certainly goes bigger than just that. It's fighting games in general that we laugh at now as like overly ridiculous. And it's weird to me that there are still these kinds of issues in fighting games. It feels like we've learned so much. And by we, I mean more of like developers have had so many examples. And again, they've made a ton of progress. And they have, uh, and, and like, I'm not a developer. I can say that I, I, I bow my head to those that are able to design these moves and come up with the animations and come up with the hitboxes and, and all the frame data that goes into it and put these all together and have them working with other characters. All the things that we take for granted that we don't see while we're playing the game that we don't even understand as we're sitting here talking about it and dissecting it. There's a lot more to it than we perceive. And, and, I, and I get that and I appreciate that. All that said, though, there are certain things that we talk about fairly regularly, you know, like G's V-Trigger, mm -hmm. Akuma's Air Fireball, stuff like that, where it feels as though they're still clearly overpowered. And when we talk about them, we laugh, you yeah. know, we, re we respond with this is just ridiculous. And, and, we're, and, and that cues something in my brain. I go, well, that's either one of two things is true. We're either seeing that with just such a... Um, a misunderstanding of it that we're taking this very proud like i get it better than everybody else does and i know better and and everyone's dumb and that's incorrect and we're just the dumb ones or it really is like we should have learned this lesson by now and for whatever reason we haven't so maybe that's a good way and there's a lot to all this but maybe that's a good place to start yeah i think that one of the stories we posted recently had uh the original developer developers of, of street fighter 2 talking about zangief and how they nerfed mm -hmm. the character like continuously uh, because that guy that they they ran a location test with in Japan he went on like a 30 game win streak and no one could touch him and mm. I mean we know that what happened with Fong right the, the story Fong Vega and Street Fighter yeah. 4 um, that that sometimes I you know our personal experiences are always going to weigh more heavily on us than the ones that are indirect right uh, you hear about um a birdie player from the Dominican Republic that's, you know, kicking everyone's butt and destroying them. And you might think, ah, well, birdie's still not that much of a problem, you know. And then, of course, Mena RD comes up and he wins Capcom Cup. And it's kind of like, you know, all the people who were saying, hey, birdie's a problem. They're getting their, their time in the spotlight now and saying, yeah, I was right. You know, and that was you. <laughs> You know, that was you, for example, who were saying it. A lot of people weren't buying that Birdie was very good. Uh, going back and doing the research for that, he was low tier by most people, uh, their opinion back then. You know, like it's mm -hmm. and obviously he got, you know, they got proved wrong. Um, and I, I think there's a constant balance of fighting perception. Uh, and I don't even you know, it's so hard to say what reality is in these games because sure. you, you have the snake eyes who win Evo with Sna uh, Zangief. Right. And you've it's it's very hard to it's very hard to separate this, the fact from the fiction. 
Yeah. So I, I, I think that I think that's why we see some repeat mistakes happen. But I also think it's where we as event hubs and we as a community could do a better job of addressing this stuff and saying like, hey, this is where the problems are consistently. Like we've seen, you know, you made G the sequel, right? Like, why did you do that when G is already a problem? We know that needs to be nerfed down. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's more we can do there. And we know for sure that Capcom listens to, you know, the stuff that we put out there and listens to the community. Like we, we've heard it many times. We've seen our freaking uh, suggestions implemented directly into the game. Like it's uh, Steven suggested Abigail's tire for uh, um, a move and that got put in. I suggested uh, a soul spiral for Minot that got put in. Like it's you suggested freaking Nikali's like a um, like a fireball and other stuff in his V triggers. Either a fireball or a leaping attack. Yes. And guess what he got for V triggers. He got exactly those <laughs> things. And, and and I mean you know and then talking with some of the developers when we're at the events like you know we're we're very well trafficked by them and so are other people in the community. There these suggestions they get into the game in various ways not all of them you know because there's millions of people out there doing it but where i'm going with this is that there is a it's worth talking about loudly yeah there's there's a corporate knowledge that gets built over time and you will definitely see stuff addressed uh rashid got addressed look he was he was a gigantic sore thumb uh he was the biggest sore thumb here in season four and probably uh, prior seasons he did get taken care of we want to see more happen with akuma but like we were definitely hitting the rashid button way harder than we hit the akuma button um Mm -hmm. and i think that i think that when a lot of people got in line with what Rashid's issues were and, you know, and he won Capcom cup and all that kind of stuff. Like, I think it was pretty hard to ignore him at that point. Um, and uh, so I, I think that's, uh, you're kind of more going like where the problems and stuff are at, which is a really good thing for us to discuss. But I I think that's one of the solutions that we've come up with. Mm -hmm. Now, I try to look at the developer's point of view and well, specifically G's V trigger didn't get touched. Right. And I go, with everything that we know about these games like why wouldn't that be somewhere you attend to and this conversation has been going on for the last couple of years now of well maybe some of it is that you want a couple of things out of your moves you want them to be competitively balanced sure but you also want them to be entertaining and fun to do and fun to watch and man that v trigger checks those boxes like it's its job because i think it is you know let me ask you this though um do you think that colleen's v trigger 2 is more of a problem than g's v trigger 1 or do you think they're about the same like how do you feel those two moves stack up against each other because we we've talked actively about nerfing both of those moves Mm -hmm. no i think g's v trigger 1 is better than colleen's v trigger 2 okay yeah, just curious because uh, it's both characters have been underwhelming in the results they've produced compared to the hype they've kind of had around those moves. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not terrible. It's not like both characters haven't produced. They've done well. Just the, the outcry over those moves have been harder than the actual results of them. Well, now, and then there's a second kind of arena to argue this in outside of just how good it makes a character um, and how how strong of a tool, uh, how much it contributes to the the overall strength of the character, like that's definitely significant. And if it's affecting tournament results, that's extra bad. But at the same time, you want to balance things in such a way that your game is fun to play and it's a fun experience. And there are certain interactions where you can really like your lows can be really low mm-hmm. for the other person. And there's still a lot of that. And I think that kind of gets to that sore muscle even more um, precisely. It's that it's not necessarily that having these stronger moves makes the character broken overall. I think that there's still some issue with Alex's V-Trigger 1, and he is 
ultimately like the worst character in the game we've decided Mm -hmm. um but there's still some poor design choices and it's more like how do we how do we why is it designed this way why does if you if you put this move first in a vacuum and then against all of the other moves that a character has in its toolkit like there's a lot of work here i'm not saying it's it's easy it's not it's one of the hardest things in the world um but why would you take this and go, okay, so it gives the character X, Y, Z, and maybe you don't see this at first, but then the community figures it out and you see it you know, happening in tournaments and you hear people talking about it and you still don't change it. That's weird to me. But we've learned a lot. Why does Akuma's you know, two-hit fireball serve the, the purposes that it does and cost him as little as it does? Things along those lines. I think that you can sort of break this down and to say mathematically maybe makes it a little too simple. I don't want to oversimplify, but you can go, you know, like this contributes X. It should have X on the other side of the balance beam to make sure that it's balanced. And as I'm thinking about this, I go, you know what? We do need satisfying moves and we do need entertaining sequences uh, that, you know, shoot the fireworks off and that are exciting and enticing to watch. And I think we can have that. You know, we've, we've had Marvel versus Capcom with this ridiculousness and unblockables and all over the top stuff still be very well welcomed and and exciting for the community and and it continues to get refined as well and I think that you can have crazy stuff that's your big answer it's I think that Street Fighter 5 is kind of done with what it is like you've got to be careful about making heavy alterations to the game at this point in time because it's the developers have moved on to street fighter 6 overall for the most part there's a small team working on this game to update it but the 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 game has sold you know 4.5 million copies it's well liked in some circles in the fighting game community and it kind of is what it is and I, I think that you have smaller adjustments that you make but the days of having massive revisions are, are done you know and, sure and i think that's kind of one of the big answers to your question of like why these moves have stayed intact even though it's a bad design choice which i agree with it's also like well compared to the effort of removing this and revising it versus you know maybe just toning it down and tweaking it a bit like we're going to go with the latter because we don't have the resources to redo akuma's air fireballs in that way our alex's v trigger you know one and give him a brand new one like um and also throughout capcom's history it's very rare for them to completely revise how a move works uh it gets toned down or tweaked or you know maybe has some different features added to it but to actually have a move re- uh, removed from the game are, are heavily dramatically altered is very rare uh, and and I think one of the big reasons for that is that if you've trained and you love a move or you love a certain attack like having it completely removed from the game is pretty demoralizing uh, it's you know you, we, we train with these moves we kind of like them even if they, we can only use them one time out of 20 it's like it's still a move we've learned to use so I think that's been Capcom's reasoning of not changing that Sure, and and that can apply to the specific example of Street Fighter V, and and it'll be what it is, and that's fine. But you can also extend this concept of this discussion into, well, let's look at the future, and when you continue to move forward, let's make even fewer mistakes. Yeah. You know, let's make even more progress. And here's something that I'd really like, you know, to not be in these next games. And so, like, I think about Akuma's, um, specifically when he's in V-Trigger, he throws an air fireball, there's two of those things going down at this slow downward angle. And he gets so much benefit out of it. Mm-hmm. So much so that I'm like, you know what? Uh, well, let me back up a little bit. You can have the fireworks, crazy good stuff that's really fun to do when it works. And you can just probably tweak down how much it takes out of your life bar, or how much stun it actually does, and get it to a point 
when, you know, tweaking it from a, the more facets it has, the more you can play with it. And I think that's a good thing to the point where uh, it, it works within the realm of balance. And so for someone like Akuma with his double hitting air fireball and V trigger, you realize if that move didn't do any damage or any stun, it would still be an amazingly useful tool for control, for setting up of combos, for the combo that comes afterwards, and that's where you get your damage. And yet, like that would be a significant change to Akuma. What if if you were to do that to Akuma's air fireball? What do you think of that? Like what as you hear that, how, what's your reaction? I go back to a statement that that Seth Killian told me back in the day uh, when he was talking about balancing Street Fighter Four, and he's like, dude, if if you change a frame, sometimes a move becomes just you know below average to overpowered. And I'm I'm much more of a believer, especially watching these games over the years, of of tweaking stuff in minor ways versus heavy ways. Uh, and I'm worried about the unintended consequences of that. Like it sounds okay as you're saying it, but like you know, keep in mind the, these developers can take these suggestions and go test them out, and they can find out if they're they're good or not. Like Akuma's air fireballs are a huge basis for the character. It's what he gets a lot of stuff off of, and I honestly think that he's a character that Capcom wants to be top tier. I don't think that I think literally every single time they set out to make Akuma, I think they intend to make him very good. I, I don't think they they ever intend to just have his balance be whatever. I think he he is literally designed to be very strong. Um, so I think that that would potentially knock him down to maybe a mid tier spot or lower. And I don't know if Capcom's very comfortable with that. That would be my, you think that if he didn't get the damage from that specific fireball, that it would knock him all the way down to mid tier. He's based a lot on his air fireballs, in my opinion. Like he he's, that's a huge basis for how he plays all of his matchups and things. And it's why he's got very dominant matchups in this game. Uh, I mean, I get that he would get the combo and other stuff afterwards, but Man, it's that's a pretty big nerf to a character. Uh. Yeah, well, that <laughs> deserves it in my opinion. Anyways, uh, but so so my point is though that you can retain these moves, and and maybe that's too much. Sure, I mean that's just off the top of my head. Maybe that's too much to do this particular move for this particular character. But my point is, you could definitely keep the pizzazz, and it's not the the fun of this. The fun and the satisfaction and the entertainment value of these kinds of moves coming out the way they do uh, is still there even if they don't reduce the life bar as much. Mm -hmm. Winning is fun, but hey, better earning your winning is, is even funner in the long term, right? Um, but like the, the way the screen shakes, the way the fireworks go off, uh, you know, those kinds of things can add to the watch or, or the viewer, the viewing value of all of this, the satisfaction that comes from performing it and feeling your character dole out this punishment on the other character. I think you can still have your cake and eat it too in terms of esports and entertainment, but you can still take these ridiculous, cool, high-flying, flashy V-trigger, EX, whatever moves, you can have them check both boxes, and I would hope that we would start doing that. And we, I mean, again, developers, uh, because otherwise it's just it's sapping from these games, and there's so much potential that I think is left on the table when something like this comes and, and starts to detract from or detract our attention from the core of the game because we're frustrated because we're getting hit by these things. And if, it's, if they're too good, then you start seeing them being overused, certain moves or certain sequences, and you don't want that. Uh, a little side thing is that I think uh, a well-balanced character, you're going to see them use all of their toolkit or, or the majority of their toolkit um, in tandem with each other because that's what we find 
skillful. You know, that's one of the things that's like, man, if you can take this character and you can do one move, you know, over and over again, like, well, like, you know, anyone can do that. But if you can take this, all of these different moving parts and work them together in this well-oiled machine to overcome somebody else doing the same thing, like, that's impressive. I want to sit down and see someone do that. You know, I want to watch Daigo manipulate these situations and use footsie tools and such to, to, to ultimately earn his victory. So, we have been making progress. We're at a pretty good place. I'm relatively happy with where we're at, and I'm relatively confident that we're moving still in the right direction. And I think that we can make this esports, we can make it watchable, but we can also balance it. That's kind of the direction I would start to go in terms of further achieving that goal. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we're really talking a lot about Street Fighter, but we've got to mention Tekken here, where in Pakistan, they, they've they banned, uh, I always botch his name, but... Uh, fa- I'll beep it. Yeah, Fakiram, <laughs> um, or Fakiram, or whatever it is. Fakiram, there you go. Oh, man, it's, it's a tough name to, to get out there. But anyway... <laughs> exactly what we hear right um but uh i mean they've banned him in tournament and i mean we're not even talking about character bans in street fighter 5 like not even close to it we're just saying hey this character's too good in this context right um and tekken has been praised so heavily over the years for their balance and it's hard you know it really does come down to being very difficult to do but you know we, we report on these stories we do this stuff and that does get back to the developers as we talked about before and that's that's kind of our way of combating this like we, we need to have dialogue about this we need to discuss what's working and what's not working in these games and get that feedback back to the developers and not the freaking twitter you know 280 characters ah, you know just kind of screaming at people <laughs> that this sucks or whatever or that like what, what we saw today hey I pirated your game. I want to be able to buy stuff on the shop for free. Please let me do that. <laughs> it's like, dude. Um, yeah. All right. So, you know, filtering that stuff out a little bit and giving, you know, the developers a little bit more clear and concise messages, that does go a long way. Um, and it's, you know, it's... It, so it's not lost on us, like, again, and that's why we always encourage people to, to send us their feedback on what they think should be done, try to build a consensus, try to build more knowledge, and, and we try to, you know, channel that information back to the developers because we do have a, a decent voice in the room. So, Right on. All right, y'all. Uh, that's going to wrap us up for this week of the Event Hubs podcast. Once again, thank you so much for listening. We're sorry that your friends are sad, but we definitely want to, <laughs> to entertain them here as best we can, and we'll be back with you guys soon. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week.